I think we kind of underestimate like our own minds and the things that we say to ourselves because it is so important. You are feeding and breeding positivity or negativity to yourself depending on what you say. So for me, I know self-talk is number one. Michelle, you are great. Michelle, you're going to do amazing in this competition because technically I know I'm sound, but whenever you're getting to this elite level, it's 80% mental. Mm. And so I have to get my mental right and self-talk is my way. Welcome to a very special series of Realising Your Potential from Accolade Wines. At Accolade, our purpose is to enrich everyday moments through our amazing and award-winning wine brands. The driving force behind our business is people. And as a proponent of community, we believe some of the most powerful learning comes from people sharing their own stories. In this series, we continue to explore the topic of high performance by speaking to those involved in elite sport and are privileged to also hear from those involved in one of the most exciting communities of Paralympics and Olympics. I'm your host, Ange Murphett, Chief People and Communications Officer at Accolade Wines. So join me as we explore this fascinating world of elite sport. In today's episode, I speak with Michelle Focum, recent Rice University graduate and professional track and field athlete. Michelle, welcome to Accolade Wines, Realising Your Potential podcast series. I'm really delighted to be speaking to you today. Can we start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, your career, both work and your athletic career? Yeah, for sure. First off, I want to say thank you guys so much for having me here. I'm delighted to be a part of the Accolade Wine podcast um, and also just be one of the athletes that you guys are speaking to during this time of the Olympics and all the great athletics that are actually going on during this time. So as you said, my name is Michelle Focum. I'm a recent Rice graduate. Um, I graduated in 2020 with a degree in psychology. Um, And I'm also on the women's track and field team where I am a triple and a long jumper and every now and then I think I've kind of retired it but I do do the four by one as well um (laughs) and currently I would I would call myself a professional track and field athlete you know leaving collegiate track and field I knew that I wanted to pursue this um further on and so now I consider myself a professional track and field athlete but in addition to that I do work with a nonprofit called EPOG Academy that is the enjoyable pain of growth and what we are trying to do is make personal development a part of education. Um, So on there I am a part of the associate board where I help with a lot of research for the programs that we're doing for our students and in addition to that I'm also in a professional development Um, organization called MAP. It's the Make a Play Foundation that works specifically with people of color, student athletes to help them find internships and actual jobs. You attended Rice University, as you said, and you were a student athlete. So can you talk to us about the experience you had as a student athlete at Rice University? Oh, definitely. Being a student athlete at Rice University is tough. As you know, Rice University is a top 20, I think currently top 15 um, ranked university in the United States. And so I have this very high academic rigor and it's something that I had never really seen before. I haven't experienced before. And then being a student athlete, um, competing, training 20 hours a week, it's also like a job. So I had a job and another job. Um, I was full time in both things. And it was it was hard to handle. It was, I had to learn how to manage my time well. Um, I had to learn 
you know, my responsibilities, I had to learn time to make for myself as in my self-care time, taking care of my mental health, but I also had to like keep my head in the game in both of them. And so over my career, I did have some challenges as a student and an athlete, right? Because one does not go without the other, but I was lacking as a student because I was putting a little bit more in the student, in the athlete category. Um, but with time and experience over the years, I just got better, right? My grades got better. I got better as an athlete. And I think that's mostly because I was very disciplined in both and I cared de- deeply about both. And I was just determined to be great. When did you discover your love of athletics? <laughs> that's such an interesting question because um, I did not fall in love with track and field right away. Mm. Truly, I was in love with basketball. And I know the CEO, he is, was a Rice alum. Yes. Um, so that's quite interesting. <laughs> um, I used to love basketball. But I think when I actually fell in love with track and field was my sophomore year of college. Was there a defining moment for you when you said athletics is my thing as opposed to basketball? Or was it a coach that you, or an event? Or, you know, what was it that kind of made you make that switch? So truly, I started playing when I was 12 years old in the seventh grade. and Everyone told me I'm going to be a great track athlete, but because I wanted to do basketball so badly, I, I was like, no, that's not going to be my thing. There was one coach, um, two coaches, Coach Lance, never forget her. She told me I need to be a jumper. I wasn't really playing into her. My coach in high school, Coach Pollock, he kept telling me, Michelle, you are a jumper. You are going to be a great collegiate athlete. Didn't really believe it, but whenever the options came down to um, – scholarships and such and performing a sport in college it was down to track and field but that wasn't even the moment when I started to love track and field the moment was my sophomore year um I had left my bib in the hotel room and it was a very very stressful moment for me and I just sat there outside waiting for one of my teammates to bring my bib and I was frustrated because I did not do what I needed to do. I wasn't prepared the way I needed to be prepared. My mind wasn't in it. And that shows because I did not remember the most important thing that I need for my competition. And I sat there in that moment on the bench and I realized if I'm so frustrated about this one thing, that must mean I care a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really reflected and I was like, you know, you love track, Michelle. Just let it shine. Let it be. Go out there and do what you love because you know this is what you love. You've just kind of been suppressing it for a while. And that was the moment. And at that competition, I PB'd in both of my events because I truly realized and I let myself love the sport. Mm, That's a great story. You talked a little bit about how tough it was being a student athlete at RISE. What did you learn around finding that balance? I don't know if you ever find balance. Yeah, I mean, I don't ever, I don't know if we ever find balance at all, you know, but how did you manage those competing priorities? Um, what support mechanisms, I suppose, did you have and did you put in place to help you, you know, find um, some sort of equilibrium? So to be honest, I don't think I've ever found a full balance. Mm. I have to be very honest with you guys. Um, but things that I did would be like leaning on my teammates, leaning on classmates to help me sit in there, having study groups. Um, I did try to have a planner multiple times, but that wasn't really for me, but just trying to stay organized with myself. So I tended to use Google Calendar a lot to keep myself together. Um, One thing that was major was like during the day, I would try to get all of my homework done so that in the afternoon I could go to practice. And then afterwards, 
I would be completely done with my day and wouldn't have much to do. Sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. But I don't know, so many different tactics of just like finding a balance in my time management. I think that's the most important thing, trying to have an equal amount of time for both of both of my um, priorities. When you were talked just recently about when you fell in love with track and field, you, you realised you weren't in the right place. You hadn't got your mind in the right place. And a previous yeah. para-Olympian I spoke to for one of these podcasts He said something really interesting to me. He said, you can lose a race before you even get to the starting line if your mind's not there. That is totally true. So failure doesn't happen in the act. Failure is something that is bred before then. And I think that athlete is completely right because if you think negatively or if you prepare negatively, then that's only going to carry through. It may just be a little that surpasses and comes through, but like every little ounce of negativity or unpreparedness will show in the end of your competition. And so I totally have to agree. Recently, you obviously tried out for the Olympics, you know, Mm -hmm. a massive preparation. So I'm just really curious on what you do around your mental resilience, how you get your head right. There is so much to do to get your head right. It starts from the people around you, the way you speak to yourself, um, the things that you do on a daily. But for me, what I found to be the biggest thing is a lot of self-talk, so much self-talk. So leading up to the NCAA championships, which I became top three in the United States as an NCAA athlete, the whole week I spoke to myself very positively. I told myself, you are going to do great. You are going to jump 14 meters. You are technically sound. Your coach and you have worked together. Your coach is great. Just continuously feeding all these positive thoughts into my mind. And I think that's what really got me there because of that, because I was just positively speaking to myself. I think we kind of underestimate like our own minds and the things that we say to ourselves because it is so important. You are feeding and breeding positivity or negativity to yourself depending on what you say. So for me, I know self-talk is number one. Michelle, you are great. Michelle, you're going to do amazing in this competition and just keep saying that to myself. And I think that's, that's really the way that I get my mind into things because technically I know I'm sound, but whenever you're getting to this elite level, it's 80% mental. Mm. And so I have to get my mental right and self-talk is my way. We spoke with Tanner Gardner and he talked about the concept of grit that they mm. teach at Rice. What does grit mean to you? Yes, grit means resilience. It means perseverance. It means that you keep going no matter what is your what is in your way. So many times we have adversity, right? And so we'll have this obstacle that's in front of us. Grit is about what you do in that moment of adversity. Do you sit down or do you continue? When you continue and just go through whatever it is, that's you having grit because you're able to just withstand anything that comes your way. Have you experienced setbacks in your career and, and how have you how have you dealt with those? Yeah, I have experienced a few setbacks. I think one of my major setbacks, that was I had a chronic knee issue and I felt like I couldn't train at my hardest. I could not compete at my hardest because it was always holding me back. There's actually, after one competition, one of my competitors told me, Michelle, like, are you okay? Your knee does not look right. And I, I remember that moment because it was when I realized that like, that is such a major setback. Like I cannot be as great as I want to be because my knee is not functioning as it normally does. And so what I did through that setback, which lasted about two years, truly, um, is just work through it. 
I did my PT. Um, I still exercised, but I think the major component of why I was able to get through that setback is just, just because I knew I wanted to prevail. I knew I wanted to be better. I know that I can be great and I knew that I would be. And that's really what propelled me through the injury. And so, um, just taking some time mentally and realizing that like, okay, this is something that you want to do, but with that, I have to have grit to get through this situation. Mm-hmm. And um, I just mentally told myself, you know, Michelle, this is something that you want to do. You are going to have to put the work to get forward and to continue to go on. And I feel like this, that period of two years where I did have that injury, it doesn't seem like anything to me now because I persevered through it and I got through it. And now I would say that I'm better than ever. I've had also other setbacks. I feel like I've also had some mental setbacks. And this year was kind of hard for me due to COVID. And I remember there was a period in time where like I would come to practice and I wouldn't feel like doing anything. Mm. My mind, like I was not, my mind was not where it needed to be. And I don't know why. It's because I needed a break. I was probably a little bit burnt out. And what you do then is you, one, listen to your body, right? If I'm going to practice and I realize that, like, even though I love this, for some reason, I don't want to be here. I know for me, I know there's a problem. And so I had to take that time to just sit back. I told my coach, I was like, hey, I think something is wrong with me mentally. I'm not sure. Talk to my coach. We had a good conversation on it. And I kind of just, like, sat back a little bit. Um, I was still trained, but, like, I had to listen to my body and my body was telling me for some reason, Michelle, you do not want to compete right now. I feel like I don't want to compare myself to Simone Biles, but similar to the things that she's going on right now, as in like her body and her mind are not in sync. That is exactly how I felt. Mm. I felt just the same way. Mm. Um, And what you, it's different for different people, but I know for me that the best thing to do was not to continue to go hard and go to practice. It was to talk to my coaches and take a little sit back for a while. Mm. So I took like a day or two off. Oh, and then when coming back, I kind of slowly got back into things. And that made the difference. Mm. You, you, I really, this is some advice that I want to give to everyone. Like truly listen to your mind. Yes. Listen to your body, but also your mind is trying to give you clues as well. Mm. And so make sure you're paying attention to those because that is also a very important component to being an elite athlete. Did you have that moment when you knew you needed to take time off, but you were worried that by doing so you'd lose fitness? I wasn't worried about it because I know that my foundation in the fall was so strong um, that there would be no issue. Okay. And this would be better for me, right? I would come back on the best, on a, on a higher note due to the fact that I took a break. As an elite athlete, do you have those moments where just going, I just, I'd rather stay in bed today, or I really just would like to sit on the couch, or I don't really want to, like, do you have those moments? Look, we're all human. And yes, I do have those moments. I actually had one of those moments today. Um, Yes, I am only doing summer training, but like, it's still hard to get up, Mm. you know, but um, when I do have those days, either I dive it down or I just tell myself, Michelle, like you have a goal and you need to do something to reach that goal, no matter what the situation is. So yeah, I have those moments, but like, 
because my goals are so big and the things I want to do, I feel like are so, so great and so vast. Um, I kind of, I just will myself to get there, Mm -hmm. but you know, some days it's like, Oh, I don't even want to go to the track. I I know I really want, I know like I really want to. And I think it's really important. Yeah. Whether you're an elite athlete like yourself or you're someone like me who kind of runs three Mm -hmm. or four times a week, um, that having that goal is really important, you know, and I think those little mental kind of goals that you have for me propel you a little bit more Mm -hmm. to kind of always go out there and just give it a bit of a crack, as we say here in Australia. You talked about when you needed to take a mental break. How did your coaches respond to that? What what was their advice? I have great coaches and they responded very, very well to that. Um, I just had to be very open and honest with them. And we made things work. You know, Um, there's really not much to say other than like they took it well. Mm. They listened to me. They knew that like, you know, I did need this break and I have had a lot going on and COVID was kind of crazy as well. Mm. And so they were like, it's fine. Take a step back. Right. And do what you need to do. And that's part like, that is what a great coach is about. Great coaches. They work with you. They listen to you as well. And like, they help you grow as people. And they know that like one, they should also know that like your sport isn't everything and that your mental health is important as well. Talk to me about COVID and the impact of it on your training schedule. What impact did that have for you and how did you manage through that? So one story I'll never forget. Um, we were on our way to indoor nationals. This was March 2020. Um, it was me and Grace Forbes and Coach Bevan. And I was ready to compete in my last indoor championship meet. But as I was, but as we were at the airport, I was looking at my phone and I saw all these teams and all these conferences that were pulling themselves out of the meet and two days before Harvard wasn't allowing any sports to be had and I'm and that was when COVID really struck the NCAA championship meet was canceled that was the first way that COVID affected my season I lost one of the biggest meets that I would have had to that day um And then after that, the whole season was canceled. Championships meets were canceled. Tokyo 2020 Olympics were canceled. And I thought that for me that it was like, I thought everything was done. Um, In that time, I continued to train. And honestly, I want to say that, yes, I wasn't able to go to tracks because everything was closed. But one thing that COVID did is it made me... um, and made me a little bit more strategic in the way I train and helped me use my resources a little more. So there are no tracks. I was working out in parks. I was working out on tar roads. I was working out on the gravel. I would work out on grass. Like I would go in my backyard. I'd go and like do all these different things. And so I think that was a good thing to just show me that like, you don't need much to, to practice and to do um, training for track and field. And so um, that was a, was, I would say is a good thing because I learned how to just train and just do my own workouts, but the next year, so the 2020, 2021 year of, um, having COVID and also training, like the impact of COVID hit me more mentally. I think being so isolated is what really made training and made life so hard because I was, you know, um, stuck in the house for a lot of the day, but then my only like 
Two hours to get out was whenever I went to practice. So I savored those two hours of practice. Like, I'm not going to lie. COVID made practice so much more, so much better because I knew I was like, for two hours, I get to work with my coach and do something I love, see some great teammates, all of that. But mentally, it was very hard because I was so isolated for the most part, doing classes online. It felt like I was on Zoom for at least three hours a day. Like, it just wears you down. But also, the part where it gets hard is like, so why I was so isolated is because I feared contracting COVID and giving it to my family if I would come home or giving it to my teammates. So like, I just tried to stay safe, which is why I isolated myself, but it made it hard mentally. It made me enjoy track. But I think that um, some of the issues from COVID kind of were brushed off of like Rice students because we were in a very contained environment that was very safe. We got tested all the time, wore masks all the time. And so Rice made it so that it almost seemed like for some time COVID didn't exist until I like left my little rice bubble. Mm. Um, But during the season, it, as COVID, I guess, started to drop off a little bit. Now we're seeing a little bit more. um, It just felt a little normal. Things felt a little bit more normal and got a little bit better, but like it was very much up and down throughout the seasons, throughout the falls. I think my mental, my mental health was askewed a little bit because of COVID. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I did the right thing and I was safe throughout it all. And I'm very, very, very happy that Rice University made a safe space for us as students. Can you explain to me the transition from being a collegiate athlete at Rice to now being a professional athlete? It's all new to me and I'm really curious to understand how that works. It's also very new to me as well. Um, so I may not be able to explain it to you well because right now I'm really trying to figure things out. I'm actually trying to figure out who I'm going to train with, where I'm going to live, how I'm going to make a living for myself and how I'm going to prepare to train and compete for these huge meets coming up. Um, so I, I can't give you much detail right now. I am training by myself. Um, and I'm just doing what's good for me because it's just summer training just to keep myself active. Um, but hopefully in the next month or two, I will, you know, have a place and have a coach and a group that I will be working with. And then you, you went through the Olympic trials. Can you talk to me about, um, the preparation for that, the experience, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. coming off, how did you feel with your place and how did you work through that? Because um, I'm assuming you're you're preparing for Paris. Is that the goal, to prepare for Paris? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, for sure. One thing, the first thing I want to say is that training for the Olympic trials um, is no different than training for any other meet that I have. They, it is all the same. This is just another meet that I am ready to compete at. Um, I don't want to do anything different because it's a bigger meet because that kind of shifts exactly what I've been doing and what I've been working on. All that has happened for the past year, though, is in preparation for meets such as the Olympic trials. So if I'm doing what I need to do, then I will do the exact same thing to prepare for the meet. Nothing changes. Um, and yes, I did get sixth overall at the meet. Um, and I was a little upset for probably like a few seconds, but it kind of dawned on me that like, I have so much left 
and I will be great coming in the future. Um, I, I was very like, I feel like after the competition, I remember, so I left and I was a little upset, but then I like saw my dad, saw my coaches and I just started smiling. And they were like, wow, Michelle, like, you have a great outlook on this. And it's like, yeah, because I know that there's so much more in the tank. I know that I can compete with the three girls who qualified. Like they are great, but I know I can also be on the same level as them. And so I left knowing that there's so much more for me. And I hope that you guys will continue to see my name in the next three years and on. What's the motivation for you to be a professional athlete? That What drives you to do that? Uh, first, the love for track and field. I love what I'm doing. I love going out to the track every single day um, and just like really perfecting my craft and what I do on the runway, on the track, all of that. In addition to that, like um, I've just always wanted to be great, right? And this is one of the places where I know that there is a lot of potential. That's not a word I necessarily like to use, but there's a lot of potential there and I haven't even scratched the surface and I, I can't stop right now. Um, I really want to continue this as a professional and really see what I can actually do. So that's why I'm like, I need to be a professional track and field athlete. I feel like at this level, like you are, or you should be a student of the sport or whatever sport could be rugby, could be track and field, could be rowing. Like I think the greats, and the people who want to be great, they want to continue to learn. And like, as you learn, you see more of what you can do and more of what works for you. And so that's what's happening for me. I'm like, okay, I see this. I can make this change and I know I'll be better. Was it always a motivation to represent your country as well? Um, you know, I, I said this earlier, it was never really my dream to do track and field, but it's always been my dream to be great. It has always been my dream to be great. I really have to thank my parents for that because they have fed that into me my whole life. Like, Michelle, you will be great. Um, and I didn't really know what I'd be great at, but as I continued to do track and field, I was like, this is a place where I can be great. And so I know that I can be great, hopefully for my country in the next three years. You've got another three years ahead of you. So how, do you, how are you going to sustain your performance? I'm just continuing to train at a high level the same way that I have been, but probably a little bit more intense because there is a longer cycle and a lot more longevity rather than collegiate seasons, which are like very smaller or a lot smaller chunks. So high intense competition and also truly having my mind right. I kind of stated this earlier, but at this level, it is 20% physical and 80% mental. So staying in it mentally is truly going to continue to get me to where I need to be. How important after a meet um, or even your coaching session is the debrief? Yes, no, I definitely debrief with my coach. I would say that it's very important so you continue to learn what you need to do um, and understand like maybe some of the mistakes you made so that that next week in practice you guys can work on it and I would say get closer to perfection. And how important has data become in the way that you train? So it's interesting because we don't actually take much of our like stats during practice. Um, I don't think that's something that I need to focus on because it's not necessarily about the marks that you have in practice. It's all about the marks that you have at a meet. So if I am technically sound at practice, that will translate to a meet because that's the most important part, carrying that great technique, carrying the speed into my jumps. 
um, and that will create the good marks. Can you give us an insight into the level of training that you undertake to perform at this level? What does a normal training day look like for you? Um, so there are two, I guess we have two different three different types of training days. Um, so typically our Mondays, we will have our power acceleration day. So it'll be a lot of short sprints working on our driving technique. Um, and then the next day, like a Tuesday, we will lift in the morning. Um, so doing a lot of Olympic lifts that work on speed and power. And then in the evening, we'll then do technique work. Um, after that, the next day will probably be a rest day, well, an active recovery day because um, I don't, it's not necessarily an off day, but active recovery. Yeah. Um, so we might go to the pool. We might do some very short, slow runs. We may do some med balls. We may do core or like a general strength. It just depends what your body needs at that time. Um, the day after that, probably a Thursday, We'll be lifting in the morning. And then after that will be a lot more technique work. On our Fridays, um, we will have power, ex more power and acceleration runs um, that really emphasize like the drive phase. And then on Saturdays, we may have a meet or if we are in the fall, that'll be a long run day. So that's just typical of week. What are the key ingredients for you for a successful team? That's a good question. I would say people doing their role. Um, and then also, I, that's number, I would say that's number two. The most important part of a successful team is a cohesive team, is a team that cheers for each other and that just has each other's backs. Like, yes, all of our, in track and field, everything is individual. Um, however, you still need to work together and motivate each other. And I think that's what really makes a successful team. And what makes a really great coach? It's someone not only who knows their stuff in track, right? Like a lot of coaches know what they're doing on the track. But do you know, like the actual individual that you're working with? I think a great coach actually works with the person that they're talking to, that they're coaching. Um, and to kind of like understand who they are as an athlete, and who they are as a person. And I found that like the coaches that I have, they've had both of those things. It's not just about the actual track and field athletics component. It's about the like person to person interaction and really like meeting the person where they are. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot when we're trying to make ourselves better athletes, we're really open to feedback, but then in the workplace, mm -hmm. we become a bit more defensive around getting <laughs> feedback. What do you think it is about why as athletes do you think we're really open to feedback? What is it? So I've never really been in the workforce. I guess I have had some internships and all, um, but I'm not sure why that would be. What do you think it is? Maybe it's because I have a, a deeper personal relationship. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship mm -hmm. with my trainer. Maybe the goal is mine as well. You know, I have a goal of I want to run until I'm 80. That's a very personal goal, which we've both bought into. Maybe it's that. I would have to say, I think the last thing that you said is really key, right? Like it's, it's a personal goal that you and your trainer have bought into. And so I feel like if you're working in a in a in a company and an organization where you all have an equal goal, then there shouldn't be that strife in the feedback because no. it doesn't necessarily make sense. Because if you know that, you know, this project is going to get y'all closer to your goal, 
then everything should be fine given the feedback that you have because yeah. you you know that it'll make everything better. Um, so I feel like it just depends. Is it a very friendly, a family type organization or are things a little bit more competitive? And I feel like if the workplace were a bit more competitive, then there would it would be a lot harder to have feedback because it would seem a little bit more defensive. You'd feel, seem more defensive because it, you, you necessarily don't think that y'all are working together. And I think that has to do with what I was talking about, about what makes a great coach or what makes a great trainer. There's a little bit more of that personal relationship that's going on that isn't necessarily happening at the workplace. practices that you've implemented that help you become a better athlete? I think everything that I'm trying to do is, is helping me to become a better athlete. Um, some of the work that I do for the organization that I'm a part of, I say even that helps me become a better athlete. So implementing time to work. And that is because I'm practicing discipline. I'm practicing time management. Whenever I sit down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my work from three to five. Um, I've also been trying to, uh, I have a half gallon water bottle. I've been trying to drink that at least twice a day. It's a very, very hard goal. And it's a lot of water to drink. So trying to implement that as well. I try to implement self-talk every single day. Um, keeping myself organized as well. That's another thing. I, I'm truly one who believes that everything you do helps you become better at all of your goals. So you kind of have to live your life a certain way. And so that's why I'm trying to have my life very organized, planned. I have a planner. I follow that. That helps me as a person, but it also helps me become a better athlete because I am growing as a person. And those two things come, they're, they're not different, right? I am a person and I just happen to be an athlete and that's a part of me. So if I'm doing everything to be a greater person, then I just have to become a better, better athlete. You talked about the work you're doing for a not-for-profit. Um, talk to me a little mm -hmm. bit about that and, and what drives you to give back. Yes. Um, so I'm a part of EPUG Academy. I'm on the associate board. And currently a lot of my work has to do with doing research for the programs and also um, creating interventions for students um, with our power curriculum. And so what that is, is we focus for our students on purpose, ownership, wisdom, the execution, and resilience. These are five main things. And so what I'm doing is looking up research to find interventions or like little daily tasks that you can do every single day um, to help you um, reach your purpose, to have better ownership, to create wisdom, to execute things, and also to have that resilience. Part of the reason why I'm doing it, it's something that I didn't have and it's something that I know I needed and I want to give that back to people. And in addition to that, like education is probably one of the most important things to me. And I want everyone to have a great education. And I do believe that having personal development as a part of education will help bolster academic um, outcomes and also just help students become leaders and really reach their full potential. I love it. We've talked about it a bit, the importance of physical exercise to look after your mental health. What's your advice on that? Exercise is a time when you can get away from everything. I think that like 
when you exercise or one thing that you can do is because you are focusing on like a certain body part or you're just like aimlessly even just walking around, you can empty out your mind. So that gives you time to just clear yourself and just be free. Be one with maybe the gym that you are in or even that like being outdoors. And so um, I think it's very important. One thing people always ask me, I guess you see me around and I'm very fit. Um, and people always ask me like, man, you know, I really want to start working out. And I always tell them, just go for a walk 30 minutes. A day. You don't have to do anything crazy. Not only is it going to help you physically, but also it's going to help you clear your mind. And I think that's some of the most important thing. Like right now we're in this day and age where we're kind of, everything is coming at us in different angles, whether it be social media, it could be our jobs, it could be just looking out in the world and seeing that there's a lot going wrong. But like, when you go exercise, a lot of that can just go away because you're thinking about something else. Mm. So that, that is a time to just think about one, something else or just nothing and just be one with whatever exercise you're doing. And it's also fun. Like I, I did kickboxing with one of my friends one time and like, it was so enjoyable. We were just hitting punching bags, you know, <laughs> or today I went on a bike ride. That's something that I don't normally do, but like, just feeling the breeze and just like getting away um, from my work for a little bit. Like it was just nice to be away from some of the stressors that I'm feeling. And through exercise, you can be away from those things. Are you a podcast fan? And do you have any recommendations that you'd like um, people listening to this to, to tune into? I am a major podcast fan. I would say that I listen to a lot of podcasts that are very educational. So I listen to the daily New York times, the daily all the time. I listen to code switch. Um, and there are some few others. Um, I'm really, one of my big hobbies is learning languages. So I do listen to the Duolingo podcast, the French and the Spanish one at times. Michelle, thank you so much. You're an absolute delight no. and an inspiration. <laughs> I've just so enjoyed talking to you. I'm going to be so excited to see your career progress and um, I know you're going to be great. It's a real joy just to speak to you. It was great talking to you and I really appreciate you having me. Like you're great to have a conversation with and, um, and thank you all for taking the time to actually listen to me speak. I really hope that you took from this, like even if it's just one thing, um, it would mean so much to me. I have a lot more learning to do. I, and I feel like being on this podcast is just adding to my wisdom, hearing you speak and the questions that you have to ask me. It makes me think about things and make me think about, you know, my life and what I have ahead and really what I'm trying to do and the impact I'm trying to make so i really appreciate this oh it's been an absolute pleasure well that brings a close to my conversation with michelle there were some really great messages in that conversation and the things i'm going to think about are a successful team is one that has people doing their roles that works together that motivates one another and has each other's back Never underestimate the power of your mind. You are feeding or breeding positivity or negativity, depending on what you say. And a good coach knows the individual they are working with as an athlete and as a person. It's not just about the work and they meet the person where they are. Thanks for listening. We love sharing these real stories. So please like, subscribe and share this episode with the people in your community. Feel free to reach out if you want to find out more or have a story to share of your own. 
Links to get in touch and other great resources are in the show notes. These podcasts would not be possible without a super production team. Big thanks to the team at Martino Consulting for producing this series of Realising Your Potential. Your Potential.